always be there. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. This is KPFT Houston, 90.1 FM and FM HD1. Welcome to Growing Up in America here on 90.1 KPFT, Pacifica Radio. Hope everyone's doing well. With me today Hi, our, Dr. Our, our Gen Z correspondent. Look at you. Lauren Beagle. Lauren, how have you been doing? I've been all right. It was a good Thanksgiving break, yeah. but I think I caught some kind of So cold. you're here in the studio with me, sort I of showing me the, the cold. Yeah, make sure you get some of that. It's been really <laughs> awesome. It's not COVID, but it's not good. But that's all right. So welcome to Growing Up in America. This is a discussion that Laura and I will be having on our children, public policy, and how do we as a city and a community do when it comes to taking care of every single one of our kids. We're a production of Children at Risk, the voice for Texas's children, nonprofit organization dedicated to research, public policy, law, and collaborative action on behalf of the youth of Texas. And every week, Lauren. Every week. We're here for a uh, a spectacular 57 minutes probably my and everyone else's favorite 57 minutes of the week i know it's yours so uh today and the theme today is human trafficking i guess we're going to talk a little bit more about human trafficking we are yeah um last week we talked about opportunity or last show i guess last week was thanksgiving our last live show two weeks ago we talked about opportunity youth um which was interesting we had a lot of great guests and i feel like that is an issue area of ours that is, one, growing yeah. and becoming much more well-known and also has a lot of intersections with human trafficking. So I'm excited, especially in the context of our show, for people to get to like b- connect those, those pieces. And, and I think in regards to awareness, a lot of people in Houston have become much more aware mm-hmm. on human trafficking than, say, in the past, uh, certainly in the past 20 years, right? Oh, for sure. We have this this awareness. And I remember, Lauren, you've heard me talk about this, that I think it was 17 years ago, I wrote an op-ed in the Houston Chronicle where I said, Houston is the hub of human trafficking in America. And uh, since then, what we realize is there are a lot of hubs, right? Sure. I mean, uh, most urban areas are big hubs for human trafficking. But what we see in Houston is a great deal of demand, right? There's a lot of demand. And so when we look in the mirror and say, where's the problem around human trafficking? It's us, right? Yeah. It's, it's well, men in our city. Sure. And I mean, there are so many things about Houston that put us in that unique position. You know, people will say we're a port city, one, two, we're a really diverse city, which in so many ways is a strength, mm-hmm. but also I think makes it, you know, in different, you know, we'll hear later today about the different ways that one can be vulnerable or yeah. vulnerabilities that exist. And yeah. unfortunately, being, you know, migration, having especially like non-legal status, all of those things, which are very common here in Houston, are, you know, vulnerabilities for trafficking. Plus, we're a stop on I-10, which yeah. is something I don't think people super think about, but it's a major highway. The longest, the biggest in the country, question mark? It's certainly long, yeah. It's one of the long ones. Um, and that comes right through Houston, which again, it's just so easy, unfortunately, to, to move people um, and to exploit them here in Houston. A big diverse city, yep. a lot of demand here, a lot of money to be made with human trafficking, but also move people around yeah. the country. So we have all the elements. I think one of the other myths, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this a little bit later on today, but uh, people tend to think of human trafficking as an international issue when the primary part of human trafficking, it's completely domestic. There are certainly international elements, but we're talking about a failing foster care system. Mm-hmm. We're talking about kids growing up in poverty that need an outlet somewhere. And, and we're talking about demand producing a lot more income uh, than maybe some other sorts yeah. of things would. So. Well, because I mean, there's a whole other, I mean, smuggling would be a whole other thing and that's when it moves internationally. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, those two things get conflated and that's one of many myths. I think we'll be talking about common myths today mm. around, again, like you're going to keep hearing the word vulnerabilities because I think trafficking is a lot more nuanced in that way. It's not, you know, women being like, snatched from a from a dark alley as much as it's people getting exploited um, for vulnerabilities and systems that um, they're a part of against their will yeah are you ready to do thumbs up thumbs down well i think we need to should we tease our data first oh are we teasing the data first i of have thumbs we up are. Thumbs dr down bob for- what is our number <laughs> For teasing the data. So we're going to do a lot of stuff on human trafficking. Thumbs up, thumbs down. The date of the day, our number today, 25. 
25. And so uh, we're doing that. And then we're going to do human trafficking throughout the show. So are you ready with 20? Do you know what 25 is? I don't know. Yeah, I can't wait quarter. to find I'm out. A quarter, maybe. Uh, uh, a, wow. That's, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's not me. I'm not yeah, 25. Yeah, so it's a big old deal. So, um, All right. So let's go to thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay, not related to, to you. No, I think we're doing this first for a little fun holiday spirit, and then we'll we'll move into the yeah, more yeah, serious yeah. stuff. So, uh, the thumbs up, th- thumbs down today is uh, decorating for Christmas. Do we do it? Uh, you know, I, I see it happening right after Halloween. I mm-hmm. see it right after Thanksgiving. When is it acceptable to start uh, decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving or after? What are you thinking? I will proudly decorate before Thanksgiving. I I also though am not a Thanksgiving girl. Like I, it's not exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will proudly decorate. I normally do it in kind of tiers. Like mm-hmm. I'll do kind of an initial. Like I'll I'll listen to Christmas music for a day. I'll make cookies. I'll throw something up. But I wait to get normally like a tree. I feel like the tree decorating for me is like that is Christmas season, and that I do wait until after Thanksgiving. But I'll start throwing up some holly jolly. Decor. I feel like a lot of my peers, you know, a lot of uh, people in the community are all sort of like uh, grouchy old people, right? They're like, yeah. I would you, say your you, peers, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I said. Uh, that really are like, yeah, you need to wait till after Thanksgiving. And, and really right after Thanksgiving is inappropriate. But I think people forget, you know, this is how a lot of small businesses make money is uh, holiday season. Uh, this is a time when people are pretty happy, right? Yeah. During holiday season. I say I feel like that's what decides when I decorate normally is like any time in November. If I'm in a bad mood, I feel safe saying like I'm going to I'm going to cheer myself up. I'm going to use the holiday cheer for this to to get out of the funk of the day. I feel like it's the same people who say I don't want to use a Kindle. I like the feel of a book Mm. or I don't want to read my newspaper online. The dinosaurs, right? The dinosaurs that they just need to get over this idea that uh, things things do change, you know, in our society. It's the very nature of progressiveness is change, right? Dr. Bob, you brought Thanksgiving and Christmas decor all the way back to to <laughs> idealism, to what what does it mean to be progressive? It's to think differently, and it's to think, you know, what does the future hold? And I think, uh, uh, and and I bring it to the holiday season, right? I, I'm I'm big yeah. on this whole idea of this is the holiday season and uh, uh, a fun time of year. I think it's also you can't decorate for Thanksgiving. At least, not really. You can decorate for fall, I Mm -hmm. guess, and some people do that. But like, if Thanksgiving had as cute decor as Christmas, I'd probably just do that instead. And and I'll I'll add this little note about the giving season. Right, is that this is the perfect time during the holiday season as you get decorated to pick your favorite charities and give money. And I know for many people that's Pacifica. This is not a pledge day, but I'm just going to throw it in. You know, uh, if this is one of your favorite charities, I think uh, you know, or think of that favorite charity and how you really support others. Uh, this is the perfect time of year. There's also a lot of matching going on. I had a friend, they've donated a bit, because, I mean, everyone's getting oh, matched. Oh, gift matching. Was, I thought you were talking oh, about wearing yes. outfits. Dr. Yeah, Bob and I match. are here in matching Christmas pajamas, <laughs> but unrelated to that, a lot of a lot of fundraising matches. I mean, yesterday was the big day, but I think some of them are going on. Um, I know Children at Risk had one. Yeah. I had a friend who texted me that they donated because of our match. Wow, very good. Hey, are you ready for our, uh, what's our first deal here today, right? I think our first um, deal, you and I are going to give a bit of a, a human trafficking 101. We're diving back into our, our topic. Um, Dr. Bob, what, can you define human trafficking for us? Yeah, yeah. So I think this is good. I think uh, for us to talk a little bit about this, uh, human trafficking in a sense um, is when we're exploiting for uh, for other people's profit or for fraud, through fraud. We're exploiting basically young women and young men. And when we talk about human trafficking, it's all about the exploitation through force, fraud, or coercion mm-hmm. uh, of uh, uh, people. And, and a lot of times when we talk about human trafficking, we're talking about it for sexual purposes. But indeed, there's labor trafficking. There's a number of different types of trafficking. But when, we, when you hear people talk about human trafficking, a lot of times we're talking about 
sex trafficking. When we talk about child trafficking, a lot of time we're talking about child sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. See, these are sort of the primary drivers, and it's what most people think about. And when we go to the state legislature and we talk about human trafficking, we're really trying to talk talk about the stopping the exploitation of children and young people, young men, young women, uh, for you know that are being sold for sexual purposes. Yeah, and I think something that we do at Children at Risk that is part of, you know, a lot of our coalition work in trafficking is anti-demand, which is different from maybe a more, um, the traditional view because, you know, again, we talked about myths, and I think a big myth is, again, who is being trafficked, and a lot of times we're talking about, you know, women who one might describe as, like, a prostitute or other vulnerable people who were previously being criminalized for what was actually them being trafficked. Mm. And so a big part of what we're doing in those conversations is actually looking at the other side is, is de-incentivizing participation of part, primarily the men who are buying sex um, instead such that people who are being exploited are not also going to jail or being otherwise criminalized, um, which I think is a good reframe for the um, <clears throat> remainder of the conversations we're having today. And I think you pointed this out, right? It's it's primarily, and by and large, 99%, this is men mm-hmm. that are buying boys and girls, young men, young women. Uh, this is what's happening, right? Yeah. And so we will often find that there are uh, survivors of trafficking that end up in the trafficking business them, themselves, madams, if you will. But by and large, we're talking about men that are buying uh, and that are really causing the sort of the key problem around ending demand and uh, human trafficking in our in our country. Uh, are we ready to go to Rhonda Kirkendall? I think is it. Is I think it... we are. Rhonda is on the air. Oh, a little bit of music. Ooh, Rhonda, get some music. <laughs> there you go, Rhonda. Hey, Rhonda, how you doing today? Hi, I'm doing very well. It's nice to join y'all. Yeah, give us a little bit uh, of an idea. We're talking a little bit about uh, familiar trafficking. Uh, give us a little bit of an idea what what that's all about, Rhonda. Absolutely. You know, the U.S. Department of State had estimated that about 41% of trafficking involves familial. That means a family, a guardian, or a caregiver. Although it is very common, it's also one of the least types of trafficking that's discussed openly. Mm-hmm. Um, for kids that are trafficked, by their family members, the abuse is normalized. Um, It's accepted because it's happening within a family culture. Um, Also, victims of this type of trafficking many times are of a younger age. So we always hear the statistic of about 15 or 16 years old. With familial trafficking, it happens at an earlier age, sometimes even earlier than 12 years old. Um, There is no specific type of neighborhood, um, all race, religions, uh, socioeconomic statuses. And, and give um, us an idea of something like what's a typical case that we might, and you just said there's nothing typical, but, but give us an idea. Like if we're in Houston, what's something that we might see around familial trafficking or what's an example of something that's happened recently that's sort of top of your mind, Rhonda? Um, well, I do work with kids that are in the child welfare system. Um, and as, as the job that I do, we only work within familial trafficking. So a lot of the a lot of the information that's out there is not well known. We talk about how we need to protect kids from social media and be aware of the environment and what's going on around us. All of that is very isolating for victims of child sex trafficking when it's a family member. I know because I was trafficked by my family. I was 10 years old. Um, I was taken into Houston on trips into Houston. I was in, eventually flown out of Intercontinental Airport. Wow. Um, and I was flown to Lubbock. So we hear a lot of talk about human trafficking today. My abuse happened 40 years ago. Um, it's always been here. Yeah. And we're very grateful that there are more eyes on it. But for so many survivors of trafficking, we did not even have the language to explain what was happening to us. Today we do. Um, but there are so many victims of, of uh, so many survivors of familial sex trafficking that are still looking for healing. What, what percentage of kids that are involved in trafficking do you think it's familial trafficking? I know, I know it's not a majority, but, but what percentage do you think are coming out of familial trafficking? Well, you know, in 2017, there was a statistic given by the U.S. Department of State that said 41%. Wow. Wow. That's pretty high. That yeah, is really high. That is a high number. 
Rhonda, I think something that, and thank you so much for, for sharing your story. I know through, you know, a lot of our work that you do such amazing work as a survivor leader. Um, I'd love to hear, I think we get asked a lot by community members, you know, what can I be looking for? What can I do? Um, either in your experience or that of the people you work with, where are those touch points where there are opportunities to intervene um, or potentially, you know, support children who are, you know, being victimized by their family? Because I think that presents kind of a whole level, a, a layer that's more difficult um, maybe than a stranger situation when it's their own parent who you're, you know, trying to separate a child from or understand a dynamic. So, you know, I can tell you that our teachers are on the front lines of identifying um, these kids. They see them probably more than anyone else. Today, my daughter is actually a high school algebra teacher, and so she shares information with me. You can tell when children, there are no quote-unquote bad kids. That's exactly what I was labeled. You know, I talk over and over again about how no one in the airport saw me, no one in the school saw me, no one in the child welfare system saw me back then. And so there is this thing when kids are acting out sexually um, and when kids have a huge change in behavior, they were doing really well in school, they're no longer doing well in school. Um, They don't seem to be together. They don't have good hygiene. Um, They feel neglected. And these are all things that that teachers, the schools, are going to see quicker than anybody else. That's why it was such a detriment when the schools closed down in COVID, because there were no eyes on these kids. They were in the very homes where the abuse was occurring. And I can guarantee that COVID did not stop the abuse. That still continued all the way through COVID. Rhonda, when you hear sort of the, uh, you know, obviously we're talking much more about trafficking today and in the last decade than we, we were ever before. And I'm glad you you brought up this idea that it's, it's been around forever, right? And uh, when you hear people talk about, uh, you know, immigration as a problem around trafficking, what's your first reaction or what do you say to people when they bring that up? Uh, first, I take a really big, deep breath. <laughs> and... I- <laughs> And I try to make sure that I'm going to use this opportunity to educate. Um, There is a misnomer about what is smuggling and what is human trafficking and what the difference between the two of those are. Uh, Can a smuggling incident turn into trafficking? Yes. But we don't see and we don't have the numbers of traffickers coming across our borders. Unaccompanied minors are all being trafficked. All of this is actually when you see politics taking hold of an issue to help themselves. Um, And in the end, it does harm to the real issue of what we're working on because then people focus in on the border when that's not where we need to focus in on. We have in America more Americans abusing Americans. You know, this is not only a – and there is, again, all of these are a caveat, right? Of course, we do have people coming across our borders that are being trafficked. But when you look at the large numbers – of what's going on in our country. This is Americans hurting Americans. Yeah, I, and I love that you bring up this whole idea of politicizing it. I, I remember Congressman Ted Poe, who, a Republican a number of years ago, pretty conservative, but he was a big uh, ally in the fight against trafficking. And he's like, oh, the worst thing that could happen is for us to politicize this. But we see yeah, it yeah. We see it beginning to happen. But, uh, and, but just recently, because before this, it's been a great bipartisan issue where everyone, we can all agree we don't want the exploitation of our children. We should be able to agree on that. Uh, because we've just seen it ruin too many lives. But we are excited when we talk to people like you, Rhonda, who, uh, you know, are a, you know, a thriver, right? You, you have survived, and now you're part of the fight against trafficking. And so, uh, Rhonda, thank you very, very much for all that you do. Thanks for being on the Growing Up in America program. Thanks, Rhonda. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Take care. Very good. All right. Um, it, it's so good to hear from people like Rhonda. It really is. I think that that is, you know, centering survivor and overcomer voice because like they know and they know yeah. what they need and, and what best speaks to their experience um, and just have such incredible insight. Um, right. Ready for Misa? I am ready for Misa. I love Misa. Misa Wynn is with, uh, she's the coalition coordinator at United Against Human Trafficking. A good buddy of mine. Misa, how you been doing? 
I'm good, Bob. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay, as well. Or sorry, oh, it has been it has been a year. Yeah. So I'm you know, to to I think for all of us, it's been a year, right? But but as Lauren likes to point out, the holiday season is the time for happiness, Misa. So, but but <laughs> but the issues that we work against sometimes aren't as happy. And we wanted to talk to you a little bit about myths around human trafficking when we when we think about human trafficking in houston human trafficking in texas it you you know just talking to to Rhonda here we talked about a couple of those myths but there's so many things around trafficking that are big myths what's the biggest that you come up uh, against misa Ooh, so i want to preface our conversation first by challenging us to point out myths and misconceptions uh, one of the things I, I learned early on in the movement as, you know, in the past decade, we've been trying to look at how do we better educate our communities, better equip them to identify and combat trafficking or you know, intervene, as you were just talking about with Rhonda. Yeah. Um, and I think it's focusing less on what those misconceptions are, but focusing on what the facts about trafficking okay. are. Okay. Uh, and so, I'm happy to make that switch. And what are some of the big, <laughs> the big facts for you, Misa, that you, that you really like to point out? I'd like to point out that trafficking happens anywhere mm. and everywhere. You know, so throw out your your preconceived notions, uh, the the pictures that come to mind immediately when you think about human trafficking. I think if you've looked or seen any public awareness campaigns, uh, you know, a decade ago or even a few years ago, um, some of them unfortunately don't portray the full spectrum of trafficking. So I think we need to really embrace that trafficking can happen to anyone, adults men, women, you know, non-binary individuals, transgendered individuals, children, you name it. So just not necessarily assuming that there is a typical victim. And, and help us hear Misa, because uh, early on, Lauren and I were talking about human trafficking, and uh, we do focus a lot on sex trafficking. Uh, but the fact of the matter, there's a lot of labor trafficking. What are some of the other trafficking things that you guys come up against, Misa, and United Against Human Trafficking? Well, I think for the most part, you, you actually just named it. forced labor or labor trafficking, as we identify here in the U- United States, is really the, the big piece that isn't being talked about um, as much as we believe it should be. Um, internationally, we hear a lot more about forced marriage. Mm. In fact, if I don't know if you all have been, anyone's been paying attention to the International Labor Organization, but they periodically, every few years, put out their global estimates. And so... This year, we were able to obtain new numbers. We haven't obtained new numbers since, I think, 2016 or so, 2017. And they have increased those estimates again. Every year it increases, but just as Rhonda said, it's not that uh, we at the United Against Human Trafficking believe this too. It's not that we are seeing more trafficking. It's that we're getting better at identifying it. We're becoming more aware. It's probably already happening. We just didn't know before. Um, so forced labor and forced marriage is, is really making up those numbers. And it's where an individual is, does not consent to the marriage. Yeah. Um, I think labor trafficking is something that we, kind of to your previous point, like to cast to places that are not the United States. Could you mm-hmm. give people an idea of what forced labor might look like? Or just, you know, a couple of examples of how it takes place in the United States, which I think we feel is a, is a place where yeah. it's hard to be forced to work. Especially in Houston. Sure. I think people love an example for Houston. Absolutely. Well, I like to preface any kind of conversation around labor trafficking to say that any situation where an individual could be put to work or provide a service could be an opportunity for exploitation, for labor exploitation and trafficking. And so what we've seen in Houston has been um, cases like domestic work. So someone being recruited to be a nanny or a housekeeper or a maid in someone's home. Uh, It has been traveling sales crews. This was something that I think was uncovered more so in the mid like 2010s up to 2020. And maybe not so much in the pandemic, but we've heard individuals where they're recruited they're sold a promise of an opportunity to make money. Um, they'll have a sales job, essentially, or they might not even tell them that that's the job that they're doing. But in actuality, what they're doing is selling these magazine subscriptions, going door to door. And when someone purchases that subscription, they don't receive them because it's not an illegitimate business. 
Um, the individuals are controlled through debt bondage because these crews move from place to place, city to mm. city, sometimes across states. And they're held in this debt bondage where they owe their traffickers money for housing them, for training them, for providing um, what, um, whatever amenities. And I say that, you know, not necessarily, you know, we think amenities like a luxury hotel or hotel, but I, it's not, it's more like a place to sleep and maybe some food. So these Hey, Misa, let me, ask, let, me, let me ask you about mm-hmm. these magazine salespeople, too, because, sure. uh, you know, in my neighbor, I live in Montrose, and in my neighborhood, we'll see this from time to time where people come door to door. What can someone do when they see one of these? Because I remember a young woman coming to my door, and I said, you know, I asked her if she was okay. She said, you know, I'm fine, but what can I do? You know, and, and yeah. I, I didn't have a good answer for it. What is it, was it, what is it that we can do? Uh, in terms of helping people like that or other victims that we might see around human trafficking? Absolutely. I think the first thing is to be aware of the situation. Like, what's what's going on contextually? Is there another individual accompanying this person who you suspect to be a victim of human trafficking? Um, someone who claims to be training this individual or monitoring them, such as a boss, a manager, a supervisor? Um, because if, in that, if that's the situation then it's not necessarily safe to engage with that individual openly. Yeah. yeah. Um, If there's a possibility where you are in the situation and you think that the trafficker is present observing the the potential victim, you could try to slip them the hotline number on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Again, we're not, honestly, it's it's very difficult. We're not asking people to put themselves in danger or to put the potential victim in danger as well. And give us that hotline number one time, uh, Misa, if you could. Sure. It's 888-3737-888. Yeah, and that goes straight to Polaris in Washington, D.C. They manage the line. It's great. So uh, Misa Wynn is with us. Misa, I feel like you and I could talk about this for another half hour or so. So, yes. Thanks, Misa. Uh, Misa for United Against Human Trafficking. Thank you so much, Misa. Take care, okay? Thank you all. Take care. All right. Very good. Talking about dedication, we're talking about Layla, Layla Mazzali, who's with us. And uh, Layla, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How about y'all? Very good. So the data of the day, 25, Layla. And, you know, Lauren and I were struggling around 25. So uh, 25%, 25%, I'm thinking. I don't know. Help us out, Layla. So 25% actually speaks to three different stats. Um, We were never going to guess that. Yep. (laughs) I'd like to keep you on your toes. Um, So 25% um, or one in four youth runaways uh, meet someone interested in trafficking them within the first 48 hours of leaving home. Runaways. Yeah. Wow. And, And we understand that, right? I mean, I understand that. But within the first 48 hours, that's pretty quick. Yeah. It is pretty quick, yeah, and that means that youth who are at higher risk of running away, which means youth who are experiencing abuse or neglect at home, youth who are in the foster care system, youth who identify as LGBTQ+, are all going to be at an increased risk of trafficking. Um, But two other 25% stats that are also pretty haunting is that about 25% um, of people not from the United States who are illegally trafficked into the U.S. each year for forced labor enter through Texas. And Texas also houses an estimated 25% of all human trafficking victims in the U.S. Yikes. Wow. And that's why we talk about being the hub. And, and yeah, no kidding. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And what is it, do you think, that uh, makes Texas, Layla, from your perspective? I mean, I guess uh, Lauren and I could sort of guess at this, but the, the fact that Texas uh, has 25% of all human trafficking victims, we also know that we have, uh, what, one-tenth of all the children in our country. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so we have a large population, but 25% of all human trafficking, is it because the, the urban area, because our access to the border, uh, just because we have a young population, diverse population? What would, what would you say, Layla? Yeah, I mean, it's being speculated to be all of the above. I mean, yeah. Texas has a unique geography in terms of its proximity to the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, it also has a massive land size. So there's there's just, more people and more land in Texas. Um, and then also where it is 
geographically located in relationship to the rest of the country, it is very centrally located along a number of different highways. So it kind of just makes makes sense. You know, one of the things that, and I don't think we'll talk about this today very much, but there is a mindset in Texas, and I've talked to a number of national experts around this, around in human trafficking, which is that, you know, we have more strip clubs in a place like Houston than most other cities, more per capita than Las Vegas or New York City. Uh, places that people have both labeled sin cities, right? We have all so mm-hmm. so th- sometimes these strip clubs and sort of this um, uh, this whole idea of live and let live in the wild west, you know, that sort of lends to this idea that maybe it's not breaking the law, maybe it's just boys being boys, and that's part of this mentality that you see in Texas that you don't find in other places. And and I can't help but think that that contributes to demand to being okay for boys men to feel like they can purchase women and 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 other men yeah i'd also wonder if you know texas is a having been raised in texas there's a lot of i think old school i guess kind of like conservative not even necessarily politically but like conservative ideology around masculinity around you know perceived gender roles and you know what it is to be a man and kind of to your point like the boys will be boys that i think could make you know, as we talk about, supply doesn't mean anything if there's not demand. So for Texas to be a hub indicates yeah. that there's, you know, it's also a hub for demand as much as it is, you know, the border and all of those things don't create demand. They create access to supply. And so I'd also wonder if, if those mentalities and, you know, kind of older, I'd like to think, ideologies that are more alive in Texas and maybe some other places contribute to that as well. And a few years ago, Layla, our research team came up with this piece of research, which uh, sort of mapped out illicit brothels all across our state. And mm-hmm. Harris County, Houston, had more illicit brothels than Starbucks. And uh, just sort of an amazing thing to think that we have more human trafficking than we have Starbucks in, in our in our city. It's uh, uh, That should be alarming in and of itself, right? Yeah, that is pretty wild. I mean, I think I think that all of these different factors can be contributing to that. I also just think in general, I mean, um, the way that businesses are regulated and overseen um, also possibly plays a role in people being able to carry out um, businesses that are covers, for, you know, illicit mm-hmm. massage businesses, things of, that na- things of that nature. Very good. Thanks, Layla. Layla. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Layla's with the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children at Risk. And so are we ready for Martin from Texas Appleseed? Are you ready? I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, we did our human our, our Opportunity Youth you know, Deep Dive 101. So, Martin, how are you? Martin Martinez from Texas Appleseed. Martin, you doing okay? Yes, I'm doing well. Thank you both so much for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the intersection of human trafficking and opportunity youth. So do you want to give us kind of a like just overview of where those overlaps might occur, those kind of co-vulnerabilities? And, and explain a little bit, Martin, for those that aren't familiar with opportunity youth, what we're talking about here as well. Sure. So I think um, it's important to focus on youth who are experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, this population, uh, they're often very vulnerable to being trafficked. Um, One University of Texas study estimated that 25% of youth who are experiencing homelessness are trafficked. Um, And we know this is largely an undercount, too, because many times victims don't report their incidents of abuse, and so oftentimes these go unreported. Uh, So it's youth who are unaccompanied or homeless, um, and they're vulnerable because oftentimes uh, they don't have their basic needs met. Uh, and there aren't a lot of opportunities for them to access these basic needs. Uh, so traffickers use that to their advantage and exploit these youth. Yeah, absolutely. And you actually just used our little data of the day number, that 25%, um, where we were talking about specifically that being the, our, our data was that 25% of youth runaways meet someone interested in trafficking them within the first 48 hours of having left home. Um, which obviously, you know, that represents some particularly vulnerable youth like those in the foster care system or those who identify as LGBTQ+, who might be more likely to run away. Um, what in your work does, you know, where do you see that, that danger to, to runaways and what are the services um, that they have trouble finding or, or getting without being put in danger? 
Right. So I think it's difficult, especially for minors, to access services because oftentimes if they go to a shelter um, to receive some food or any kind of support, the shelter is obligated by law uh, to report it to Child Protective Services. Um, and oftentimes we know these youth have either had bad experience with the child welfare system, so they're scared to go back, uh, or they're running away from a home environment that wasn't healthy or wasn't safe for them. Uh, and so oftentimes traffickers know this and they'll exploit that to their advantage. Uh, and so they will really like, they will specifically target those minors who are under the age of 18 um, because they know that they're scared to go back to an environment that might be worse. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, what was your other question? Oh, no, I mean, I think that answered it. I think that's something that I, I recently was really looking into because we were doing a report on Opportunity Youth and Homelessness. Um, and I think it's really disappointing to see how many places, and I think even beyond the issues with CPS, what I was reading was that even when, you know, minors or, you know, younger, you know, Opportunity Youth, as we call it, goes up to 24. But even those who are adults, mm-hmm. when they go to a shelter, actually don't feel safe there. Um, and are afraid of being preyed upon by the adults that are also there receiving services, which is really challenging. Um, I'd love to hear, Martin, you know, the legislative session is coming up. Texas Appleseed does a lot of work um, around research and policy. So what are some of the policies either you guys are really pushing forward or you're looking at that might um, improve the situation for, for these youth? Right. Yeah. So the Texas legislative session is coming up. Uh, and we have a few opportunities to support youth who are experiencing homelessness and, uh, you know, potentially stop trafficking. Um, one of those is to decriminalize the status offense of running away. Um, right now, a status offense is essentially an offense that is only a charge because of the minor's age. Uh, if an adult committed it, then it wouldn't be an issue. Um, so oftentimes we know that when kids run away, it's because they're running away from a bad situation or they're running away to seek help. Uh, And these kids shouldn't be criminalized. They should be offered services um, and resources instead. So one of the bills we're hoping to push is to decriminalize the status offense of running away and ensure that youth instead are given services and resources. Um, And Martin, when we we think about the legislative session, you know, we've had a lot of success, right? Uh, Our two organizations and a few others in terms of the human trafficking uh, pieces of legislation around human trafficking. One of the things that we do find difficulty is is in terms of treating the victims, right? So everyone's happy to go after the traffickers. Everyone's happy, uh, certainly in the last legislation, to go after uh, the purchasers of uh, trafficked victims. Uh, do you have any hope that as we move into the next legislative session, we'll be able to sort of focus on victims a little bit more than we have in the past? Or do you, th- do you think we're still going to be at this idea of let's go after traffickers? which is not a bad thing, right? It's just, uh, uh, it's not helping the victims necessarily. Right. I mean, I think, um, I think there will definitely be an interest in like going after traffickers where I think the issue happens is that everybody is coming at this issue from a different angle and we all have different ideas about what will solve it. Um, and some people think, you know, harder crime, not harder crimes, harder, harder laws, yeah, sentences, um, yeah. will support youth better and keep them out of trouble, but we know that's not true, and the data mm-hmm. doesn't support a punitive system. Uh, we need to ensure that youth aren't overly criminalized or punished when instead they need services. Um, I think this legislature will be interesting. It's definitely more um, it's definitely more conservative than I think any other previous legislative session has been. Yeah. Um, but I think we can still find, you know, a lot of ways to work together and, like, um, pass some like really good legislation to support vulnerable youth across the state. Right. Thank Martin Martinez from Texas Appleseed. Martin, thank you so very, very much for the work that uh, you and everyone over at Appleseed does. Give them my best, and we'll talk to you soon, Martin. Thank you. Thanks, Martin. Have thank a good you one. So much. that we've been asking we ask a lot of our guests for a song and i think that's where a lot of their like intro music comes from and it's fun because i feel like they're making us a little playlist 
It is fun. <laughs> Dr. Bob, you have, to find, you have to find the fun in our radio show. Oh, uh, this, this is all fun all the time, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. This is so good. Hey, on the line with us is uh, Kathy McGibbon-Givens. Uh, Kathy, uh, thanks so much for being here. Kathy is the co-founder of 1211 Partners. She's also a member of the U.S. Advisory Council on Human Trafficking. Kathy, how have you been doing? I've been doing well. How about yourself? Very good. Very good. Thanks so much. Uh, give us an idea. I mean, as a uh, trafficking organization focused on survivors, uh, give us an idea of how you think things are going. You know, obviously, there's a lot more awareness, right, around trafficking, uh, which is good, right? It's always that first step is awareness. But how do you think we're doing as a state when it comes to trafficking and taking care of survivors? I think we're, I think we're, we've moved the needle. I will say that. And I think we're getting better. Um, obviously, there's a lot of work ahead of us that needs to be done. Right now, what I'm seeing is that we are really, um, we're really becoming a state that is focused on survivor leadership. And so we're sitting back and we're hearing from the voices of those who have experienced trafficking so that they can let us know um, which direction we should take next as far as the state and growing um, as a movement in the anti-trafficking, as an anti-trafficking movement. Yeah, we were actually, we had um, Rhonda Quickendall on earlier, and so we were talking about the importance of survivor voice. Um, And so we love that that's where we're headed. Um, I'd love to hear a little more about what 1211 does um, and kind of how it came to be. Yeah, absolutely. So 1211 was founded in the height of the pandemic. Go figure, right? Um, <laughs> me, myself, personally, I've, I've been in the field of anti-trafficking for a while. And so I've been able to just sit back and assess the landscape and figure out who's doing what and partner with some amazing agencies and organizations. And in my time, I was also able to identify some gaps that we um you know, some gaps that, that have had yet to be identified. And so, you know, through my personal mentorship with individuals who have experienced trafficking, um, we got together with some of the ladies and some of the individuals and said, okay, what's missing? And it was confirmed that one of the gaps identified was that the long-term, the continuum of care for individuals that have gone through programs uh, was missing, right? And so mm. 1211 jumped into to meet that and to try to fill that gap, to help fill that gap. So we are on a continuum of care side. We um, support and walk alongside individuals who have gone through long-term residential programs or those individuals who choose not to go to programs, right? Because we know that residential is really hard and it's not for everyone, but those individuals still need help too. And the heart of what we do is mentorship. Um, And we partner with individuals just to figure out what they want to do, you know, in life, and and we're there for them. We also have a community outreach aspect where we focus on marginalized communities and communities of color, and we do that through education and awareness through the arts. And so we are boots on the ground, bringing fun awareness projects to the communities, but it it also helps as an identifying tool for us, too, because we know a lot of individuals don't self-identify. Kathy, I'm so glad you brought up this whole idea of race and race inequity in the fight against trafficking, because one of the things you see, you know, if I, if, if I put together a meeting, and you may have been at those meetings, right, where we put together a meeting of people that are fighting against trafficking, the, the, the large majority of those that show up are uh, dedicated women from churches, you know, and primarily, you know, white women, right, older white women, that this is, this is a passion of theirs. Uh, and and when you hear them talk about, or when you hear a lot of people who are in the fight against trafficking talk about trafficking, they talk about, well, I have a blonde daughter, and I live in the suburbs, and I'm worried. And how do we change that so that it's it's we're talking about because uh, yes, there are white victims, but uh, and white survivors, but there's so many that are from uh, all across the spectrum. And and how do we change sort of that dialogue uh, in terms of what's happening? Yeah, statistics um, tell us, right, that people of color um, and specifically girls of color are at disproportionately higher risk um, for experiencing trafficking. So how we change that is we pay attention to those stats and we meet the needs of the people. Also, not looking at trafficking as just a single event, but approaching it from a holistic lens will Mm -hmm. help us really, um, really include 
all of those sections that you talked about, right, all of those people and those individuals that experience trafficking, if we step back and say, well, what are some of the root causes of trafficking? Okay, poverty, hunger, you know, uh, marginalized communities, communities of color. We have to we have to take a step back and address trafficking holistically in order to be real with ourselves. Um, and then just, you know, continuous education, continuous education. We need to be in those communities, learning from those communities, because those are the very communities and those are the very individuals that we're serving. And so we need to if we're serving these people, we need to understand where they come from. We need to understand who they are as a people. And um, I think that by doing so, we will, you know, better serve all individuals that have experienced human trafficking. Very good. Kathy McGivin-Givens, she is the co-founder of 1211 Partners and with the U.S. Advisory Council on Human Trafficking. Kathy, thanks so much for all that you do, and uh, thanks for being on the Growing Up in America program today. Very good. Thank you, Kathy. All right, are you ready for uh, a little bit? Uh... Oh, oh, here we go. There's the music. To let me know it's like old school. It is. It's probably what you're listening to normally. Uh, it's probably on my playlist somewhere. I told them sure. to play a Beatles song for you, Dr. Bob, oh, really? but Rebecca didn't add it to the playlist this I, time. Does, does, does Rebecca even know who the Beatles are? I'm wondering. who she. We'll have to talk later. Oh, Re- it looks maybe the, the next song. The producer is right, uh, Rebecca's well. the producer. Hey, uh, with us is Jamie Carruthers. Uh, my good buddy, Jamie Carruthers, who is the policy, the national policy director for Street Grace. Jamie, how the heck are you, man? Dr. Bob, it's so great to hear your voice. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Very good. You know, Jamie and I were scheduled to have lunch. I think it was the first radio show. And it was mm-hmm. like, like, I'm sorry, Jamie, we have to reschedule. And I think this is the first time we've talked to each other so in quite a long time. Jamie, uh, you know, you were a staff attorney at Children at Risk. You've written a lot of legislation around human trafficking and the fight against human trafficking. Uh, you're now in a national position focusing on human trafficking. Where's the biggest need, Jamie, in regards to human trafficking, or what is it that that we should be talking about that we're not talking about in regards to human trafficking? Well, wow, that's a great great question, Dr. Bob, and I think there's probably several parts to that. Um, a couple of things that I'm really interested in and that I think are really important and a little bit overlooked are, <clears throat> one, the prostitution decriminalization movement, mm. um, and Obviously, Street Grace is opposed to this. I am personally opposed to decriminalization of prostitution. Mm. I firmly believe it will create dysfunction and yeah. uh, more trafficking. However, all that said, doesn't mean that that movement doesn't bring up some very, very good points, right? They yeah. actually, they're, they're, some of their arguments we need to address. And one of those is, you know, can people who are being sexually exploited or in, in a life of prostitution, let's say they're voluntarily, that yeah. really happens, but let's say they're voluntarily in a life of prostitution, feel like they cannot report crime? Um, either committed against themselves or, re- or reported because they feel, or, or that they witness because they feel like they'll be arrested by police and prosecuted for being a prostitute. And that's something that that lobby brings up a lot. And I think it's a very, very valuable point. And I think and the larger point is, you know, building this bridge between exploited people or vulnerable people and the police. You know, what can states do um, to improve this? And I, and I think another one is um, seriously looking, especially in Texas, where we're a leader on this, and, you know, how do we how do we um, truly restore survivors with, with limited resources? Yeah. You know, how, and a big part of that is, you know, getting the business community, and Texas is, a, again, a leader in this, you know, getting the business community behind this idea of um, hiring survivors, you know, incentivizing businesses to, to employ survivors so they can fully recover, right, and actually have a, have a means of supporting themselves. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie uh, to your earlier point about decriminalization, um, you know, you and I worked on this idea of uh, a Nordic model, which uh, we couldn't call it a Nordic model in Texas. We called it the Texas model. But the, but the idea, you know, what I want to talk about is how some countries have approached this. And we've seen big disasters, right, and, and, and on the national level, not necessarily in the United States, but in many other countries when they've tried to address this. I think the Netherlands had a big disaster with decriminalization, and it led to more trafficking. Germany had some of the same things. But there are there are aspects of sort of the Nordic model that were tried in Denmark and Scandinavia, things that we've replicated in Texas without saying that we're replicating it. Talk about, a little bit about those things that have worked. Sure. And the, the Texas model, which I'm so proud to be able to work with children at risk to accomplish that, has been a big part of it. Um, for our listeners who, who don't know, the Nordic model 
is essentially a model under which prostitution becomes decriminalized. That is, the act of selling sex, you can't be arrested for that. On the flip side of that, though, the act of buying sex is criminalized at, mm. a, high, at a high rate, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got a stiff penalty for buying sex, no penalty for selling sex, and, of course, trafficking, pimping, these kind of activities also remain criminalized, right? And so the idea is not to punish the people who are being exploited, give them an avenue out, preferably with uh, robust, very robust social services, come back, you know, that a lot of the European countries have, particularly Northern European, um, to help people get out of this life and then get to the people who are really the most culpable, the buyers and, of course, traffickers, right? Focus all of your attention on them. And in Texas, we haven't been able to do this completely, but we've made a textified version of it, right, yeah. where we've uh, created mandatory probation for prostitution, so selling sex is, is probation on the first offense and the fourth offense. And for buyers, it's now a state jail felony. And so, and of course, this goes along hand-in-hand hand with a lot of local efforts where counties have made diversion courts and prostitution courts to uh, help people clear their records. And, and um, so that's been tremendous. I think what we're still missing in Texas is that uh, we like to see penalties for prostitution lowered even more, you know, for sellers, but we need those social services to come with them. And, Bob, the shame of Texas. Let me just put this yeah, out here. Yeah. The shame of our state. There's two shames. One, we do not have a vacator. As, while other states like Georgia are just blazing forward with these really broad, really accessible vacators that cover these criminal records that victims get, you know, and allows them to completely wipe them away if they can show they've been trafficked. You know, Texas just doesn't have a, doesn't have anything mm. comparable. Mm. And our other shame, of course, we still arrest kids for prostitution. Yeah. You know, where other states have just, they've done away with it. And the sky hasn't fallen. You know, the world hasn't ended. Um, and... Uh, and so these are the two things that our state, our state particularly, really do. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, you have a good question for Jamie before we get to our five fun questions of the day, the fun five. Yeah. Um, one kind of last question before our fun questions. So we've been talking to a lot of our guests. Texas legislative session is coming up. You've brought up a lot of kind of initiatives. Is there any like one either piece of legislation that's been filed or kind of specific initiative that you are particularly you know excited about or invested in um for the upcoming session in texas or at the national level since you've you've yeah. moved to the to the big leagues <laughs> well the tda tdpa is going to get reauthorized we're putting a lot of effort towards that as well that reauthorization package but you know my my passion and my heart belongs to state legislators i mean the feds you know they are what they are. But mostly when you talk about the feds, it's money, right? How much money they're going to distribute and how are they going to do it. It's states that actually create the laws that are going to have the impact. You know, it's states that are directing where the resources are going to police and to social workers and to, all, and to schools and all these other things, right? So the biggest thing is here in the states. And, and for me, I think I'm most invested in um, making crime, safe crime reporting for vulnerable people. I'm very enthusiastic about children at risk policy recommendation that mentally disabled people be added uh, to our trafficking statute, as minors are, right? Mm-hmm. So they have these special protections. I think that's just a fantastic and long overdue idea. Uh, and I'm really excited about survivor remedies. You know, let's get survivors employed in Texas, and let's make it easier for them to vacate the conviction they picked up um, while they were being trafficked. Wow. And, and, and I just want to point out, you know, there, there are – uh, so many laws that need to be passed in the fight against trafficking. And uh, it was uh, it was Jamie when he was part of the Children's Risk staff that said, hey, let's call it the Texas, uh, uh, the Texas effort, you know, instead of the Nordic solution. And there are so many examples around the world of places that are doing really nice things that can be sort of framed for us here in Texas as well. So I think there's a lot to be done here. Uh, our fun five questions of the day, Jamie, uh, I'll start off and then Lauren's going to have a fun one. What did you want to be when you uh, were a kid? When you said, what about, this is what I want to be when I grow up. What was it for you, Jamie Carruthers? When I was a little kid, it was an astronaut. Excellent. And uh, I don't like flying and my vision is terrible. I don't know how I could have possibly made it to astronaut school. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I wasn't aware of any of that when I was Excellent. Little astronaut, Jamie Carruthers. Yeah. Um, my fun question is, if you could, you know, move your life anywhere, your job, your social life, whatever, where would you live? Oh. Oh, that's quite easy. It would probably be either east or west Texas on a lake, very secluded lake. Yeah, yeah. Lots you like of, that uh, better than Sugarland, Jamie? You, you, you'd live yeah, in... I, 
Yeah. My children pray daily that I suddenly don't get a huge cash windfall because we're pulling up. We're out <laughs> in the country. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, when you were a kid, Jamie, what was your favorite TV show? Oh, Happy Days. That's how old I am, Bob. Wow. I am Dr. Bob, I am old. <laughs> I was Happy Days. <laughs> Sunday, Monday, happy days. <laughs> hey. You know, it's a, it's a good radio show when Dr. Bob starts singing. <laughs> uh, you have another fun one, Lauren? Yeah, I like the childhood theme. Um, what was your favorite cereal? Cereal, Jamie. Favorite cereal. Wow. You know, it was hard to find. I think it's a little more available now. Kids today just don't realize how lucky they have it. But it was Booberry. Okay, so we all oh, know Frankenberry. Booberry, right? yes. And there's another one, but the Booberry only suddenly only came out at certain times. It was so hard to find. I would beg my mom oh, to get Booberry. A seasonal cereal. Yeah, very good. And then a final yeah. question. Jamie, uh, If when they make the Jamie Crothers story in Hollywood, who, do, who are you going to have them play Jamie Crothers? Uh, you know, it's not age appropriate, but Chris Pratt, I think, would be a great choice. Oh, yeah. Um, it's eight, you know. That is uh, a good choice. Fail. You'd put sort of a straggly beard on him, and he'd be all set, wouldn't he? I think I think so. Scraggly, yes. <laughs> I think his beard's pretty scraggly. I think beard wise, we're pretty we're pretty compatible. Yeah, he'd have to like die his wife, but other than that, <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Carruthers is the national policy director with Street Grace, a good buddy of ours, and we're we're gonna have you back on the show, Jamie. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Dr. Bob. Thank uh, you. All righty. What's that I hear, Dr. Bob? That's what I'm talking about. All right, in our final two minutes of the show, a couple of rally days. We've got a big human trafficking rally day in January. We want people Mm -hmm. to come to the Capitol Steps, the Austin Capitol Steps. Yep. That's the 24th of January. And uh, how can people participate in that? So the rally days have a couple of parts. I mean, the I don't want to say bare minimum in a way that is, you know, reductive. But if nothing else, we'll be outside. You won't be able to miss us. You can just come. There's a big steps on the south side of the Capitol and you can show up. Um, If you are feeling really ambitious or if you have, you know, a school bus in your yard that you're not using, you can fill it with your friends and family and you can even bring them. Yeah, and that it's going to be good. Be it's on really the Capitol good. steps. I'll be moderate. I'll be the MC. You know, I'll be yelling, You get stop, to see stop, Dr. Bob live and in action. Now. And we'll have legislators galore. We'll be Sinfronia Thompson from North, stopping ta- traffic. North Forest. Stopping <laughs> traffic now. Hey, I, I want to thank, in our final 30 seconds, I want to thank our producers, uh, Rebecca Hernandez, uh, Naomi Fletcher, uh, for the great work they do. Lauren Beagle coming in here to substitute for Mandy, but you've been doing this week in, week out, so thank you very much. I think I've done much. this you've reiteration probably, this probably more times than more you t- and Mandy. <laughs> I even did well, it by listen, myself. You know, you, you Gen Zers are overly ambitious, so we appreciate it. We appreciate it. So uh, uh, we love having you as part of So Lauren Beagle. I'm Bob Sanborn from uh, Children at Risk. Uh, We do this day in and day out for children, and we look forward to seeing you guys next week here on Growing Up in America. I hopped off the plane at LAX with a dream in my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame access. Am I going to fit in? Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time. See the Hollywood sign This is all so crazy Everybody seems so famous My tummy's turning and I'm feeling kind of homesick Too much pressure and I'm nervous That's when the taxi man turned on the radio And a Jay-Z song was on And a Jay-Z song was on And a Jay-Z song was on So I put my hands up to play my song The butterflies fly away Nodding my head like yeah Moving my in my taxi cab everybody's looking at me now like who's that chick that's rocking kicks she gotta be from out of town so hard with my girls on around me it's definitely healthy our local time is 305 p.m and the temperature is 67 degrees at this time you are now free to use your cellular devices you know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands you can have that feeling every time you drive 
Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager. Learning the lingo. Jelly. Jelly adjective. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. What is dedication? My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night and every moment in between. I think a parent's job is to protect our children but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. 